I look at my kids and I, I look at the, at the, at, at the things that they've had to, you know, to adapt and culture and to learn language and, and those things. And, and it's, I mean, it's heroic mm-hmm. <laughs> to, 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 to do what, you know, to do what they've done. And, and so as a parent, um, I really felt like that our, you know, our responsibility as parents is to, um, is to step into that challenge and, and, and to just try to help them to negotiate that as, as much as we possibly can. Did you finally realize your dream of having a family only to have your happily ever after turn into a nightmare? Do you find yourself up late at night wondering why nothing you try as a parent is working? Are you searching for adoption resources and a support team but can't find any? Hi neighbor, welcome to Anchors of Encouragement. I'm Tim Maudlin, husband, adoptive parent, Bible class teacher, and ambassador of encouragement. I too felt the joy of having a family of my own. I wish we could be like other adoptive families. I knew we were doing our best, but nothing seemed to work. I kept asking myself, why is this happening to us? Life can be tough. Storms in life are inevitable. In Anchors of Encouragement, my mission is to throw adoptive parents a lifeline and be your anchor, to offer biblical mindset support and provide stability when life gets unstable. If you're ready for real and raw talk that leads to peace beyond comprehension, so you not only survive but thrive in life's storms, this podcast is for you. Hope and healing are on the way. Hi, neighbor. Joining me today is my neighbor from Alabama, Dr. Rick Morton. Rick is the Senior Vice President of Engagement at Lifeline Children's Services, the largest evangelical Christian adoption agency in America. For listeners to this podcast, Lifeline Children's Services might sound familiar because in Episode 76, we had the president of Lifeline, Herbie Newell, on the show. Rick is an accomplished writer and sought-after speaker. One of the books he co-authored is the popular Orphanology, Awakening to Gospel-Centered Adoption and Orphan Care. Rick and his lovely wife, Denise, have been married for over 32 years, and they have three children, all of whom join their family through international adoption. God has continued to grow their family, and he now enjoys the role of Doc to his precious granddaughter. Rick has firsthand experience as both an adoptive parent and an experienced adoption advocate. Rick, it's great to have you on the show today. Before we go any further, I ask all of my Alabama neighbors, do you roll tide or war eagle? <laughs> well, you know, that can be a pretty uh, politically charged question in the state of Alabama. But mm-hmm. I can certainly answer it and say I'm I'm roll tide. Um, okay. I uh, My mom and dad were students at the University of Alabama. They met as college students. They got married as college students there. And so... You know, my joke is that there, uh, I would not, I would not be here if it were not for the University of Alabama. So I don't think I have an option to root for anybody else. That's fine. That's fine. And I, I don't have a, a dog in this fight. So I'm good either way. Um, at least you aren't a Purdue fan because we always get disappointed. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, as as an Alabama fan this year, we're we're preparing ourselves for disappointment. So oh yeah, it could. Uh, th- this certainly could be our year. Yeah, you'll probably still win ten games, but <laughs> <laughs> it's anyway, all about perspective. <laughs> it is. It's good to have you on the show. Uh, well, thank you for having me. 
As we're recording this episode, November, which is National Adoption Month, is just around the corner. And your team reached out to me so we can raise adoption awareness. God has built both of our families through the blessing of adoption. I have friends who have adopted and are in the process of adopting internationally. And there are listeners to this podcast who want to adopt internationally. And as I understand from your bio, you and your wife adopted three children with special needs from Ukraine. As we get into our discussion, we just want to talk today about the whole idea of international adoption. And you can share your story with us. Uh, What was your personal experience with international adoption as we get started today? Yeah, Tim, our uh, our experience in international adoption was probably... um, Probably a little bit out of the norm. Um, we, uh, we began our, our journey way back in, in 2003 when we adopted our, uh, what had, what is now our youngest son. And so, um, he was 18 months old at the time. Um, our, uh, our adoption then was, you know, probably pretty conventional for a lot of families that were adopting internationally, bringing a, you know, bringing a toddler home. Um, we then, uh, several years later, uh, brought actually six years later, brought home a, uh, a seven year old little boy from Ukraine. And then a couple of years after that, we brought home our daughter who was 14, just shy of her 15th birthday, uh, to, to join our family. And so we, we sort of did a few of those things that social workers tell you not to do and interrupting the birth order and, you know, all of, all of those sorts of, um, sorts of things, but our, um, our journey in international adoption has been, uh, you know, perhaps a bit unconventional and that certainly has brought some, some challenges with it. But, um, honestly, I think the Lord has, has used some of the challenges that we've had along the way to, um, really to help us to, to be positioned experientially to minister to, uh, families that are that are adopting internationally now, because uh, our decisions to adopt older children and and to adopt kids with special needs uh, were at a time when that was maybe not the norm in international adoption, but certainly has become much more of the norm today. And and so um, I think we we see that the the whole character and whole landscape of international adoption has changed over the course of the last 15 or 20 years. Um, now that, that most of the children that are available for adoption, uh, into the United States from other countries are kids that are either, um, have, you know, some sort of, uh, significant presenting special need, uh, kids that are a part of, you know, larger sibling groups and have, uh, complex social histories or, or kids that are older. And, um, and, and so I think, you know, perhaps one of the things I, I think that is, that's changed a good bit is that, that people in the church sometimes still think that international adoption is about adopting infants and toddlers. And that's, that's just not really the case of, um, the kids that are available. Uh, nor is that the case for the kids that are really most in need uh, in in other countries of uh, intercountry adoption. Okay, yeah, there's I know that can be a misconception. 
And I'm thinking of the people that uh, I know personally who have adopted internationally, all but one family that I'm aware of, they adopted probably teenagers, I think it was, or early, right before they were teenagers. So, yeah, that seems to be the norm nowadays. Not only you went internationally to to adopt, but you chose to adopt special needs. What are some of the challenges that you have faced? I mean, I, I see two different ideas here coming at us because the special needs is one aspect, but the international with the language and cultural barriers. What are some of the challenges that you and your wife were presented with as you adopted these children? Yeah, Tim, I think the most significant challenge that we faced was um, was really as uh, particularly one of our kids um so one of one of our children that came home uh older is um really doesn't have any significant presenting special needs we have another that has some pretty significant challenges mm-hmm. and and in his case some of it was was really the difficulty in being able to sort out things to to be able to get him the help that he needed to get as early an intervention as we possibly could. You know, we, we were faced a lot with, um, the challenge of, of, you know, school system and, and, you know, doctors and other resource providers around us who really wanted to wait and, and let him develop more, you know, language, let him, um, assimilate culturally more before we began services for him but the truth is we we came home knowing that he had you know some pretty significant challenges and and i think it really changed the environment with regard to uh, our need for advocacy mm-hmm. um you know for our our son um our our need to to represent um his needs well and honestly has really kind of changed the landscape of of even our you know, my wife and I, even our ministry, uh, as, as we've sought to, to do some things to, to provide resources for families that are adopting internationally to help them, you know, not face some of the same, you know, some of the same barriers and some of the same challenges. And, and so I think when you layer that kind of complexity together, it just makes it difficult. And I think you don't always know what you're, you know, what you're looking at. You know, you have the questions of, is this because of some, you know, some limitation or something that is, you know, that's tied to our, our child's disability? Or is this something that we're seeing that is a result of a cultural difference? Or is it a language challenge? Or in parenting kids from hard places in general, uh, we have to sort of be detectives. Um, and, and we have to kind of, you know, try to figure out what the, you know, not necessarily looking at the behavior, but we're looking at what's the need that, you know, that underlies the behavior. And I think it's that kind of thinking just brought to a little bit of a different arena to say, you know, sometimes we, we have to sort of be the detective to understand, you know, what, what really is going on with our child. And then how do we, how do we help the system around them that may not always be conditioned to understand their need based on where they've come from and, um, you know, their their trauma and their experiences. And so we have to, you know, we sort of have to be insistent that we 
help them to get the help that they need. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that's kind of the, you know, the big picture. And, and, and it really, you know, frankly, Tim drives a lot of, of what I get to do at Lifeline and, and who we are as a ministry. I think as a, as a ministry that engages in international adoption, one of the things that we've, you know, we've learned as international adoption has changed, the needs of our families have changed. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, we, we're investing a ton more in, you know, pre-adoptive education and in doing things to equip families for the challenges of, uh, bringing home kids that are, you know, are coming with, um, you know, with attachment issues and are coming home with, uh, you know, with, with underlying trauma, but also kids that, that are experiencing learning differences and have, you know, maybe language challenges and those sorts of things and, and how, how that plays uh with also the challenges of uh you know of, of just cultural assimilation. And you know, I look at my kids and I I look at the at the at, at the things that they've had to you know to adapt in culture and to learn language and and those things and and it's I mean it's heroic mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to 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 do what you know to do what they've done and and so as a parent um, I really felt like that our, you know, our responsibility as parents is to, um, is to step into that challenge and, and, and to just try to help them to negotiate that as, as, you know, as, as much as we possibly can. Well, you describe the, the special needs aspect. You just describe the, the cultural aspect, the language, and then you layer that in, as you said, with, the whole idea that there is a loss that they are experiencing with our adoptions. We didn't have the special needs or the, Mm -hmm. the, the cultural, but we had the loss. And just Mm -hmm. from my own experience, that loss can really be heavy. And so they are heroic. These children are heroic for being able to process this. And, it you're a blessing to them to take on this challenge to to parent these children and be their advocate because that's one of the things that I discovered with my wife and our myself is we had to be our our son's advocates yeah and because- and and I think Tim, not to butt in but I think that's that's one of those things that I would I would say to parents that are you know that are contemplating international adoption is that to recognize that that truly you may be the only really true advocates that your, your kids have, mm-hmm. um, you know, even, and, and so one of the, you know, one of the difficult things that we, you know, we walked through honestly was the, you know, was the whole, you know, education system and the special education system. And so looking at, you know, IEPs and 504 plans and all these things that the schools do uh, to serve special education needs, and there are all these people, teachers and psychologists and, and, you know, special education specialists that come around you and, and all of them on some level sort of take the role of saying that they're your child's advocate. Mm-hmm. But, but I think one of the things you have to be honest about is, is, is they also, all of those people also work for an entity that, that's that's trying to manage a budget and 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 they have divided loyalties you know they have they have 
policies and procedures that they have to work by. They have bosses that they have to answer to. They have goals and metrics that they have to function according to. And, and so in that environment, um, you as a parent are, are really the only pure advocate sitting at the table for your child. And that may be true in a school setting. That may be true in, you know, medical needs that your, your children may have. And, Mm -hmm. and so one of the things I just, I would encourage parents to say is, and I think one of the things that you probably need to count the cost of, even as you're, as you're looking at international adoption is that, um, you know, like, are, are you prepared and willing to, you know, to educate yourself to, and to really press into doing all that you need to do in order to be able to advocate for your kids? Because, you know, because like we said, I mean, our kids are doing some pretty extreme things in order to be able to, you know, to make this transition. And, and so it, it takes an extra special level of, you know, effort on our part as, as well. I also don't want to let your comment about, about grief go by either. Cause you, cause you said something like in passing that I think is really, really important. And that is that I, I think we hear a lot of conversation in adoption circles and, and, and in international adoption circles, particularly when we talk about kids that are, you know, older and kids that, that have, you know, really complex trauma. Mm-hmm. We, we talk a lot about trauma need, you know, trauma results and we talk a lot about attachment needs. I'm not sure we talk enough about grief. And I think sometimes we, we mislabel and, and we misunderstand things that our kids are walking through when we see behavioral challenges or, or when we see, um, you know, when we see other difficulties in the lives of our kids and, and they're dysregulated, we immediately jump to thinking that there's a, that it, it, it has something to do with trauma. And that's true, but I think sometimes we don't recognize that it, it's, it's just grief. Something we've really kind of, you know, started investing in pretty heavily with our, with our families at Lifeline is, is training families around the idea of developmental grief. And, and so essentially sometimes we have the concept, I think that, that we grief is a one time thing. You know, like we, we experience something and, and, and we grieve it and then we move on from that grief. But any of us that have ever, you know, have, have ever walked through the, you know, the death of someone who's been really close to us know that's not the way you experience grief. You know, grief kind of comes in waves and it sort of comes back in places and it, it, it kind of presents itself in, in different times and different circumstances as, and there are, there are kind of trigger points that cause us to think and remember and, and, and that for our kids, one of the things that we can really anticipate is, is that as they grow and as they develop, moving through major seasons of life and major transitions are generally going to be points where our kids are going to go back and regrieve some of the same things. And they're going to do it at a deeper level, and they're going to do it perhaps at a more sophisticated level or at a different level. But sometimes as parents, we're confused by that, and and it catches us off guard because we think, 
we think they've grieved it and we've put this thing to bed and it's gone. But in reality, all we've done is, is we've helped our kids to deal with it in a particular moment where they are today. And they may need to regrieve this later at a different level of sophistication or a different level of understanding or, or with the ability to see it from a different perspective. And that that's something that we really need to be, you know, kind of detectives for as well. Because just like a lot of the other things that we see in our kids, grief may come out in a, in a really dysregulated way. It may look like anger. It may look like rebellion. It may look like, you know, profound sadness. It may look like depression. But, but the, but the underlying cause may be just a, a, a profound grief and sadness. And, and that the answer is sometimes that what our kids need is just for us to be present and to sit in it with them as they, as they work through it and grieve it. I fully understand the, what you just said about grief. And I've been an example that I've used with myself. Um, both my parents have passed. Oh, it was a few months ago that I found myself just kind of feeling out of sorts. Then it real, it dawned on me. I go, Oh, you know, this is the anniversary of her death. You know, just the date coming up triggered emotions. And, you know, I've, I've had that awareness about myself, but then, you know, teaching, if you bring this back to adopted children, helping them to understand and be aware of that. And then, as you said, there's going to be different ways they process it through their lives and it becomes more sophisticated. And I've seen that as well. So these challenges are, are really profound when you think about how you have to advocate for your children and help them, you know, as you said, sit with them. So there's just a lot of things running through my head right now. <laughs> well, there, this is, I mean, we could have an episode just on each one of these aspects, multiple episodes, no doubt. you know, no doubt. When you talked about the pre-adoption education, because I'm thinking we're we're trying to, in this episode, introduce this idea of international adoption. Uh, we I really haven't had that topic addressed yet on the, the podcast, yeah. but as we're we're looking at this from a starting point for those who want to consider it, or they're right in the very first stages. What kind of things would you say would be helpful to these adoptive parents as they're entering into this season where they're pursuing international adoption? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think the first thing is, um, you know, and you said it earlier, um, there are a lot of us that launched off into our adoptions and we didn't know what we were doing and we didn't know what we were getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we felt a, you know, a call to something and we stepped out to do it, you know, the best we knew how. And I think the truth is we know a lot more today than we ever have about, you know, the effects of trauma and neglect. We know a whole lot more about the, you know, the, the challenges that come when, you know, because by virtue of uh, the the fact that that we're in the place of adoption means something's broken and something mm-hmm. is you know something has gone wrong, and so understanding the effects that that has on the brain, understanding the effects that that has on us 
you know, biochemically and, and on our development. I mean, understanding all of those things is, I think, really imperative to, you know, to a family being successful. I would say, number one, you know, find an agency and find people that you can journey with that are, that are going to, that are going to, you know, prepare you as well as possible. Second thing is, I think as, uh, you know, it, it's so important to have supportive community around us. And so, um, begin to encourage your church <laughs> to get ready <laughs> for mm-hmm. what you're about to do. Um, right. you know, begin to encourage the people around you that are, that are a part of, you know, a part of your social network to, to begin to get ready for what you're about to do because, because you're going to have to do some things that are, that are kind of different and out of the box probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and your journey is not exactly going to look like, you know, most people's journey, um, you know, in a, even, even in a conventional domestic infant adoption. And, and so, you know, helping to shape the expectations around, but also helping people to know how to help you. I think the last thing I would say is, 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 um, is find someone if you can and, and locally is great, but you know, this is one of the gifts that the internet gives us. Find some people who are, who are farther along in the journey that, that can really serve as, uh, encouragers and serve as mentors for you as you, as you walk through this process. And, and, you know, sometimes I have, I have, you know, couples that say, well, like, like, how do we know? And, and what I would say is look at somebody that you kind of look at and say, Hey, that's what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like somebody, somebody that, somebody that, that's, that's, that's negotiating the challenges well and somebody that has, you know, kind of the right sort of spirit. And, and I would say be so bold as to those families are probably overwhelmed as well. Be so bold as to say, Hey, would, you know, would you let me kind of walk in your shadow a little bit? <laughs> would, you know, can I ask you questions? Can I, you know, can I talk to you and, and, and like learn from the things that you've experienced and the things that you know? And, and, and the truth is, Tim, most of the people that I know that are, that are really worth following like that probably don't think they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't, they don't think they're super successful. They don't think they're <laughs> anything special, but those are exactly the kind of people that you want to seek out. Sure. Um, and, and, and just, you know, find ways to, to learn from them and, and, uh, and grow from their wisdom. One of the, you know, there's a story that I tell in, uh, in, in one of my books and it's, uh, Russell Moore that wrote the book adopted for life. Russ, Russ and I've been friends for a long, long time. And it, it just so happened that when the Lord was leading us to adopt our, our youngest, Eric, I was teaching on faculty with, uh, with Russ and had reconnected with him at, you know, Southern Seminary. And, and so Russ was that guy for me that was a few steps down the road and, and a little bit, you know, a little bit farther down the road in the journey mm-hmm. who became my reference point. He was that person that I sort of looked to and kind of took cues from and, you know, what have you and, and, and Denise and I have been blessed over the years to to find different people and different parents along the way that have um, 
have parented through the seasons of life that we're about to enter into and and have parented through the seasons of life that we're about to enter into with similar challenges that we've had and uh and it's it's been an incredible gift to um you know to have those people to you know bounce ideas with and ask questions to and sometimes just to pray with or you know cry with or laugh with or you know what have you but those those are the things i would really you know encourage you know encourage people to do one more thing like I could probably say one more thing a hundred times, but, um, <laughs> but, but one more thing I would say, Tim is, is, um, we're really good. I think in, in the international adoptive community in on the pre-adoption side, building community around our adoption. And so people are, you know, fundraising and they're posting stuff on Facebook and they're blogging and they're doing all these kind of things in order to rally people around as, as, you know, prayer support and, and, and other kinds of support as, as they're trying to like get to a child. Man, when I was in that, particularly the first time, I thought the hardest thing I would ever do was going through the adoption process to get to a child. <laughs> then I, then we actually brought a child home. Mm-hmm. And what we realized was, that getting to a child was the easy part. Right. <laughs> and that the challenge started when the door closed behind us and we were then trying to, you know, become a family and negotiate life. And so some of us can testify to the fact that we, we went to great lengths to bring a group of people around us to support us and pray for us before we brought a child home, but we probably didn't do as good a job in maintaining that kind of support once we came home. And what I would say is build a network of people that can love you and support you after you've come home, because that's really when you're going to need it. And and I think that doesn't mean necessarily putting every detail of your child's life and your experience on Facebook or out there on a blog or out there on, you know, in, on the, the interwebs because whatever we put online lives forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it does mean is having, you know, having a group of people that you, that you rally and build community with who can be praying for you and sometimes can stand in the gap for you. And that will, will do that for the long haul because under any circumstances, the added complexity that comes with, with international adoption always brings challenges and, and we need that kind of help and we need that kind of support. As we wrap this episode up, I like to end it with a daily doable, some kind of a, an action step that adoptive parents can use. And we're talking international adoption today. What would be a first, a good first step for adoptive parents to take as they're pursuing international adoption? Wow. Um, man, so many things. I, I think, first of all, I, I would say, you know, educate yourself. The international adoption process is long mm-hmm. and, and it's, and it is, there are a lot of ups and downs. There are a lot of stops and starts. Um, most people that have adopted internationally in the last, you know, 15 years, um, have an experience of having to wait 
And for most of us, we probably can testify to the fact that the wait was agonizing because we desperately wanted to get to a child and we had this vision for, you know, for what life was going to be, you know, with our, our child in our family. And we, and we understood probably the plight that our, that our child was likely in, even mm-hmm. if we didn't know who they are, who they are. And so our, our focus was on hurrying as fast as we can. And a lot of that meant hating our weight. And, and what I would, what I would say to people, one doable thing that you can do right now, if you're stepping in or if you're in the middle of the, the international adoption process is, is to redeem your weight and to allow the Lord to redeem your weight because the time that we're waiting to get to a child presents an opportunity for us to learn and to grow and to be ready at, at a much deeper level. And so there are more podcasts and. <laughs> you know, training videos and things out there. There's more ability to know and understand the country and the culture and the language that our child is coming from. There's more ability to understand the needs that they may have for kids that are coming home with, with special needs. All of that potential exists and it exists much more today than it ever has, but because of uh, you know, because of the availability of things online. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I would say leverage every moment that you possibly can in the wait in order to be ready to meet the challenges of uh, that'll, that'll come once you have a child home. Again, that's perfect advice. You know, there are going to be some unique things. You can't be totally prepared, but you prepare yourself as much as you can. And then you, you build your community, you build, you seek out these anchors and so forth. I want to thank you so much for being on here. And I believe as you say, redeem your weights and, and leverage your time. You have ways that you can help educate people uh, through the services you offer at Lifeline. Uh, can you just briefly describe a couple of those and we'll put those yeah. uh, ways in the show notes too. Yeah, Tim, we, um, we, first of all, um, we're coming up toward National Adoption Month and, and November and, uh, Lifeline puts out a, a, a suite of resources for Orphan Sunday. Uh, and the truth is you can use those in your church anytime. It doesn't have to be during the month of November, but, uh, a lot of those are, are pointed toward helping churches to step in more fully, um, not just to caring for orphan and vulnerable children, but caring for the families who, um, you know, who are caring for these kids and loving them and, uh, have brought them home through adoption. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Lifeline also, um, we do monthly education, family education where we take on different topics and, and, uh, and, and provide a, uh, webinar, uh, once, you know, once a month. All of those recordings are available on our, uh, our website. Uh, and in the last couple of years, we have launched something called Life, the Lifeline Education Portal, which you can find on our website. And it's just full of courses and self-directed learning opportunities, all pointed toward, toward families of, um, of kids, you know, from hard places that have come mm-hmm. home through adoption or in, in care and foster care. And it's, it's just about helping us to learn and to grow and to, 
to be better and to do better those things that God's called us to do. And, and all that's available free and it's wide open on our website. And, and really all we want to do is, uh, you know, serve, uh, families and serve churches as, as we seek to, you know, live out James 127 in a variety of ways, including significantly through adoption. Perfect. Thank you so much for, for being on here. And I will my pleasure. again, uh, put links to these resources and ways they can, can reach out to you in the show notes. But uh, I hope to continue this conversation with you sometime because it's really an important one to bring awareness to help these children. So thank you again for being on here. Rick shared some valuable information with us today. Here are a few of the takeaways. Number one, it's important for you to be a detective and an advocate for your child. Number two, you will need support, so find an agency that will support you on your journey. Number three, find a supportive community that will be there for you too. Number four, look for someone a little further along in the journey to encourage and mentor you. And then number five, educate yourself and redeem your weight. Leverage every moment to learn and grow and be ready as much as possible before you adopt. Make sure and check the show notes out for the resources that Rick mentioned. That's all for this episode. I want to thank you so much for joining me. If you know someone this episode would benefit, please share it with them. Until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now. If this podcast has given you the courage and confidence to face storms in your life, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it in your Instagram stories and tag me at Tim Maudlin. You can also connect with me in my Facebook group, Anchors of Encouragement. So until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now.